The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is your newscast for episode 237 for the week of uh, July 11th, 2022. Alex, are you are you running out to get your free Slurpee on 7-Eleven? It is at 7-Eleven, and who doesn't like a free Slurpee? I mean, there's actually a 7-Eleven just down the street for me. I'm going to have to go by there. I think there is literally a 7-Eleven just down the street from everyone <laughs> in the United States. That's true. I, I mean, I wonder how many there are. We should check this after, like... It, on the the order of like Starbucks mm. and McDonald's and other stuff, like where where does Seven Eleven land? Yeah, we, now you know obviously we're taking a, a nice tangent, which I love to do, <laughs> and I will encourage. Um, when I first started, uh, well, not started dating, but right before we got married, I lived by myself. I, well, I had I had a roommate, but I I was living in I, I bought a townhouse. And I did all of my grocery shopping at the local Seven <laughs> Eleven, and Kristen, my my now wife, said. What are you doing? I said, they have everything that I need. You know, they had they have eggs, they have milk, they have flour and sugar. It's also five so, times what, what it would cost to go to the grocery <laughs> but, store. But you, you know, how much more convenient is it to go in and like I'm not overwhelmed by all of the options. There's you three know, kinds of cereal you can pick from. It is a convenience store. It was very convenient, and as you mentioned, it was significantly more expensive. But I didn't know that because I didn't spend any time in King Supers to know. Well, uh, glad that you learned that that valuable life lesson. And uh, for those of you that are going to go get your your free free Slurpee at Seven Eleven, just get the free Slurpee. Don't buy eggs and milk and anything else. Go to the grocery store; it's going to be a lot cheaper. Hey, now that we've given the tip of the day, uh, why don't we jump into some housekeeping? Sounds we, good. We do have a Slack channel. We and this is a great place if you want to uh, con- contribute to the conversation with two thousand of our closest friends. Um, you can go learn about what's going on and uh, and get to know some good folks. Also, while you're on our website uh, applying to get into the Slack channel, you can sign up for our mailing list. Uh, you will now get one email every month when the, the podcast comes out, uh, unless Rob erroneously puts a, uh, a meeting announcement into the, the news section because we've set it up to automatically send out emails now. So uh, apologies for that. But so, um, so is it my fault for putting it in the wrong space or is it or my fault, fault for automating? For automating? <laughs> <laughs> automating my 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 behaviors uh the uh, I'll, I'll take like you know one percent of the blame i was gonna say ten percent but all right fair enough um also we did send out an email letting everyone know about the uh the picnic that we're doing on august 20th so we'll we'll get to that after this that's not part of the housekeeping it's yet. not but it should we should talk about it yep we'd also love it if you would uh, tell a friend help support the show we want to grow uh, not because we care about stats but because we care about this community we want we want to have um all of the folks who do security in, in Colorado able to help each other and be resources to each other. And that's what we tried to create here, a place where we can all get together. So tell your friends, get them plugged in, uh, get them into the Slack channel. Maybe they maybe they get onto the mailing list and maybe they come join us in person at our picnic coming soon. That's right. Uh, if you would like to support us financially, we do have a Patreon campaign that helps cover the costs of uh, hosting and uh, MailChimp and all of the things that we use to uh, domain names, email for, for all of the, the stuff we do, as well as, you know, stuff that's left over. We get to do stuff like this cool picnic that we're doing coming up on August 20th. Yeah, I think it's worth spending some time talking about. You know, Alex, what, two years ago, we, you know, when COVID was at, at just about its worst, we were sitting there kind of grumpy that we didn't get to see anyone in person and, yeah. and wishing we could. And we said, you know, when this thing's over, 
we should we should just find a reason to get together with people with with no speakers, no sponsors. Let's just get together and and really that's what we've now decided it's it's safe to do. So on uh, was it August what is it thirteenth twentieth August August twentieth Saturday we're going to have a, a picnic at Clement Park in Littleton, um, where we would love to have you join us. Uh, we've we put a um, what is it an evite right in, yep. into the Slack channel for people to to sign up. If you're interested in coming, send us a note. Come through the website. We'll get you plugged in to, to be there. And we're inviting people to bring their their significant other and uh, and kids. And we'll have some free food and some games and just have a good time to socialize. Yeah, uh, and I think it's probably smart that we uh, we put the link to the evite into the show notes as well. Um, so we'll do that so you guys can can check it out in the show notes or in the email that you get. We would love everyone uh, to come if they can. I mean, this is this is just sort of an open invitation to anyone in, in the Colorado Equal Security community. So really excited to, to see people and, and get as many people as we can there. I think we're up to like 130-ish people that have RSV feed so far. Which we expect so, to have half of them show up because right. y'all are flakes. And uh, uh, But if y'all show up, we'll, we'll make that work too. Exactly. All right. And, and thanks to the volunteers who were helping us with that. Right now, you and I kicked it off, but we've got a great group of volunteers who were helping put this in together as well. Yep. All right. Well, let's get into the news. Uh, Rob, a sad day. There's a, a Colorado icon, the Bucksnort Saloon in Pine, uh, which has, I believe, is closed, but is for sale again. Yeah, it's closed multiple times over the last couple of years. COVID was tough for the Bucksnort Saloon. Um, I, it sounds like it's less about folks being able to come in, but more about staffing. That's been a really big problem for them. Then they had some problems with the city or county where they are around, you know, whatever, it's whatever, sort of like some septic issues or yeah, plumbing, a, something. a number of issues. They, they have, they have now closed, but the, it is for sale. So hopefully someone will scoop in and, and, and fix it. But I think it's what's worth talking about. It's a hundred plus year old saloon that was originally part of the uh, mercantile there in pine um it, it's it's a really cool vibe i've never been there but i looked at the pictures it looks cool you've been there it sounds I have like been a there. pretty cool place yeah it's um you know it, it's sort of like a cabiny kind of feel a couple rooms um old school building uh just sort of a uh you know kind of biker bar kind of feel um you know food music that kind of stuff so hopefully someone uh, will purchase it and i think part of it too is i mean it's definitely a commitment for the owner to to come in there and, you know, basically run the whole thing. It's not going to be something where, um, you know, you're going to be making a ton of money, um, but, you know, you're going to have to dedicate some time to do it. So so if you've got an extra $700,000 burning a hole in your pocket and uh, you want to change your life and go live in Pine, I mean, it sounds like a pretty good uh, place to be. Um, this might be your opportunity. Uh, I mean, it sounds like there's a couple other buildings, maybe cabins or things like that, that come along with the, the property. So that's maybe fine. you could live I up mi- there too. I missed that. If you, if you can get your um, house and the restaurant, that's good. I mean, honestly, $700,000, I, mean, I haven't seen their books, but that doesn't seem like a bad price. If Assuming that they don't lose money, that sounds true. Right. All right, let's jump over to our next story, getting a little bit more into the business side of the world. Um, we have an article here from the Denver Business Journal that's highlighting the top five cutting-edge industries in Colorado. Yeah, um, and this article uh, was put out by the Colorado Economic Development Commission. Um, so I'd say that they probably have a pretty good pulse on you know what the, the cutting-edge industries are here in Colorado. The first one on the list is aerospace, and I think that that shouldn't be a surprise. There are uh, plenty of aerospace companies here from uh, Lockheed to United Launch Alliance to Raytheon, Raytheon, Boom Supersonic, all, all kinds of stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah this was interesting to me. They 
in the article, they highlighted for, for each of these industry, industries some of the things happening in Colorado. I was surprised at exactly how much of the GPS system and infrastructure is mm. either created or maintained here in Colorado. Uh, about two-thirds of the current satellites that make up GPS were built by Lockheed and, and Littleton, and they were launched by the ULA, um, also here in Colorado. And a lot of the ground systems for that were built and supported by Raytheon. So lots and lots of stuff going on here there. Yeah. Other big industries in town, renewable energy and clean tech. I know you know a little bit about that. I do. Uh, Uplight fits into that uh, that mold there. Lots of stuff going on there. Of course, NREL also. NREL is the big one. Yeah. Yep. They, I mean, they have so many different relationships and stuff they're building here in Colorado. Uh, the next one on the list was life sciences and biotech. You know, I know, you know, for a long time, Boulder was a huge biotech hub. Lots of uh, biotech startups that had come out of there, but also lots of uh, government areas in, from the CDC to the USDA also, uh, and, uh, educational too. Yeah. There's, there's been a whole bunch. Was it Soma? Oh, what's it called? Soma something. Uh, Soma logic. Soma logic. Soma logic. Yeah. Another one we've talked about on the show before. There's a good number of those. Uh, next on the list was electronics and clearly, you know, aero electronics is like the biggest company in Colorado by revenue. Um, and they are, you know, a, a big disty in the, distributor in the electronic space. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily think of this as a, a big Colorado thing, but we have a lot of other companies that have come into town um, over, over the years and maybe not their headquarters, but a big presence here. Yeah. One of the one, other ones that they mentioned is Woodward, which I don't usually think of because they're up in like Fort Collins or something like that, but they have a big presence here too. Uh, and then the last one is uh, the quantum technology area, which is obviously a burgeoning area with quantum cryptography and, uh, other areas of, of quantum research. And there's a few quantum companies here in Colorado. I feel like we've talked about those on the show a dozen times over the last couple of yeah. years. A lot of things, mostly Boulder, right? That's that's the Boulder scene where they're getting into the quantum stuff, mostly. Yes, exactly. So good stuff there. Glad to see there is cool stuff happening in Colorado. Uh, all right, next, uh, we, have, we have an article, another one from the Business Journal, um, a discussion with the CEO from EverCommerce, uh, who's talking about the lessons learned that they have after a year... Uh, being a public company, they went public a year ago. Yeah. So on July 1st of 2021, EverCommerce went public, um, their IPO price. So their initial public offering price where folks, probably not individuals, but at least investors could buy a stock was at $17. And generally you want to look back a year later and see, have we made progress from that? Um, it has not gone great. I actually was really surprised that there's a story about this when the answer is it hasn't gone great for right. them. Um, so it's opened at 17 and today, or I guess not today, but when this was written last week, uh, the price was at about $9 a share. Um, it, it's at, when you first look at it, you go, oh man, things haven't gone great. Maybe the company's had, had bad performance. Um, number one, the last few months have been terrible, right? Like right. We know the stock, stock market, market in general has just gone to like, heck, but, but man, they, they actually have done really well from a business perspective. Um, there, they had about 500 million in revenue in 2021, which was a 45% increase from the previous year. If you're growing at almost 50% a year, like you expect your stock to to, right. to have a nice nice increase, uh, but it really hasn't. Um, there's in terms of I'm always interested in like what's the Denver presence look like. Um, they grew on their staff uh, from about 1,800 to 2,100, and about 200 of those folks are here in Denver. So it's a, it's mostly a distributed company. Yeah. Um, and there was a, a quote by the, the CEO who said, our company's grown extremely well. We've beat all of our numbers and expectation, and that's been very positive, but it's indiscriminate the way that the sell-off has been, and so that's really hurting us. Yeah, I, 
you know, in my when I first read that quote, I was like, oh, it's just him, you know, spinning it positively. Yeah. But the, you look at the numbers, and it actually really does look like they're they're probably quite a bit undervalued based on what I would have expected. Yeah, so, I, I think that there are a lot of undervalued companies right now. If you if you take a look, it's a it's a buyer's market, Alex. It is. It is. Hey, moving over to our next story, we have a uh, we have a story about a company called House Call Pro. Um, which I had not heard of before this, but it was, I found it really interesting. Uh, they just raised about $125 million to expand their operations worldwide. Why are they, why are, wait, why are we talking about them here? You know, it's funny. Um, as I was reading the story, I, I was thinking, Rob, like what is it that actually makes a company a Denver company, right? Or a Colorado company, right? right. Um, and I think as, you know, companies become more and more fully remote, like is it is it going to be like just a place where you have, Hey, we have one office and it's in this place. So that's where our yeah. company is based or, you know, our, the, our CEO is based in this place. So that's where our company is based or like, you know, the highest percentage of our executives are in this place. Sure. You know, what, what is it that really is going to qualify anymore? Cause at some point, you know, there's a lot of companies that don't, aren't going to have to have a physical presence if they don't want one and yeah. they're going to be completely distributed. I had the same thoughts and, and, you know, the first thought you might have is, well, where are they? Where are they chartered? Well, the answer is they're all they're all in Delaware. Like every company you know is chartered in Delaware because right. it's the because, most friendly for tax. Yeah, it's it's great from tax perspective. So like any anyone who you think is a native Colorado company probably is a Delaware company. Um, but House Call Pro has their CEO located in Colorado, and he has built a, a pretty significant presence here with about two hundred people, uh, one hundred twenty five people here in Denver out of their uh, thirteen hundred person staff. But the interesting thing about him. Uh, his name is, Ooh, I got it. I, I know I have it in here. Um, Mike, Mike, yeah. Mike ooh. Bodoin, Mike Bodoin, who was one of the founders of service magic, right. which turned into home advisor, right. which is now part of the Angie, what, Angie home, whatever, whatever they I think it's called, just called Angie now, just Angie. Um, so he was one of the creators of service magic and he has now come over to this new company called house call pro that does a very similar set of things, but they have 27,000 home service businesses like plumbers, cleaners, etc. Um, and they, what they do is they help manage your payments, manage schedules, connect those folks with the consumers who need them, um, really as that one hub for folks who come to a service in the house. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when service magic, um, had first come out, I used it a fair amount, but you know, as, as a homeowner, uh, to find people to, to help me with things, but my, and I, I don't know the back end of it, but my, my reading of that company was more like it was a way to connect consumers with a, uh, a qualified pro to do some work. Whereas house call pro seems like it is more of a, uh, a back office system that also connects the customers. Uh, if you're a plumber and what you love to do is plumbing, you probably don't love doing right. billing and scheduling and all this admin work. And, and it sounds like these guys take that off your plate. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like that's what this is uh, a bit about. And the funny thing is um, Evercommerce is a similar company too. They do similar things. I don't think that they're quite as um, straight to, uh, to consumer like that, but they do a lot of the back office stuff for small office and, and businesses as well. So just funny, uh, two articles back to back that you know companies are doing well that are in similar markets. I, I love hearing about these Colorado companies, but could we start talking about security now, Alex? Okay. Could we move over to that? Okay. Uh, so some uh, big news for Swimlane. They have raised another $70 million um, for... I guess it's not called SOAR anymore. Now it's a, a low-code security, cybersecurity automation platform. You know, I 
along with the, this this press release that we're talking about is not specifically about a new product release, but they did just release their their new iteration of their their platform. It's called Turbine. Um, that the Turbine platform really gives companies the ability to create um, playbooks to do this security orchestration automation, but to do it in a low or no code way, drag right. and drop, really easily create this this flow for what companies want to do when a bad thing happens or when anything happens, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, congratulations to Swimlane. Glad to see that they are still doing well and, and raising money. Uh, I believe it said that they're going to use this for international expansion um, as well as something else, which I forgot. Uh, expand their partner network oh, yeah, and partners, build more security automation right. features. Of course, they're going to build more features. But um, but yes, I think big thing was international expansion and partners. So a couple of surprises to me. Number one, I didn't know that they had both a cloud and an on-prem version. So you can pick which way you want to get it. And they said that last year their cloud their cloud usage went up by 500%. So I assume that means they went from 10 users to, fi- to 50 or or... So, <laughs> or 50 to, to whatever that yeah, would be. So I, I think the cloud version is still fairly new. Um, when I interviewed Cordy, Cody Cornell the last time, which was uh, a year ago, two years ago, yeah. it, was, it was during the pandemic. Um, for all I know, that was 100 years ago. Um, anyway, uh, they were just launching that cloud product. So it's not surprising yeah. to me that it has grown a lot. Yeah, that's awesome. I love to see, I mean, that's a, that's a big move for a company to, to get, you know, uh, higher valuations, which is, I'm sure, a big part of this new raise they did. Yep, exactly. All right, uh, jumping over. I have some, hey, we have some news from Red Canary. Hey, what? Uh, Weird. So generally, you know, Red Canary puts out a thing a week, and we sometimes will pick one of them to talk about. Yep. This one's a little different to talk about than normal. This is a, a post that was done by our executive who runs our engineering function. Um, and, and rather than talking about our product, it talks about how Red Canary internally does development and what tools that we use. And um, it's a lot of transparency. And the idea is if someone thinks about is thinking about coming to work at Red Canary, once you read this blog post first, first to know, you know, what, what are the tools you'd be expected to use and what's it like to be a developer there? Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool um, that, that you guys were willing to share that much information and talk about, you know, how it is that you're doing things on the back end of the platform and making the platform. Um, I think it also gives an insight as to, you know, you're, you're not just a, uh, you know, a people company, right? There's actually, you know, a giant platform that you're building and, and taking care of as, as part of the service too, right? Yeah. I mean, I'd say the software is what makes Red Canary able to scale um, like we do. So a uh, big, big part of it anyway. Uh, next, we have a story from Ping. You want, you want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, so th- this one uh, is from the end of June, but Ping Identity launched a venture capital fund with $50 million to help support other identity security startups. Yeah, so so I, you know, y'all know I worked at Ping for quite a while. Uh, Ping has always been a big fan of supporting new startups and like, hey, one way to, to have, you know, to help them be successful, but also maybe to help Ping be successful is to invest in them. And if they grow, great, there's some money for Ping, or maybe at some point they, they look to acquire them. There's all kinds of options, but this was all done informally in the past. And it's awesome that they've they've set aside a certain amount of money to say, we're, we're going to take this seriously and go, go get after it. 50 million is certainly not nothing when you're talking about seed level uh, investments. Yeah, and uh, I think that as part of this, they also made an initial investment out of that $50 million I don't remember if the article talks about that or did, not. Yeah. Authenticate. Authenticate. Yes. And that was these, both of these announcements happened at uh, Ping's Identiverse conference. It was, you know, back near the end of June here. In, yeah. In I, I was Colorado. looking up this Authenticate company uh, and I was like, oh, maybe it's someone I know, but it wasn't. It was, it looked like 
a bunch of very young folks who just came out of university, <laughs> like a, some guy during his PhD um, had, had come up with a good idea, turned it into a pretty small company and, and, and they, you know, Ping Get is now investing money. in them um, basically to help uh, with unified access control um, across a wider set of, of technologies, make it easier to, to get access. Uh, but Ping, you know, the whole purpose of this is to invest in other things that will drive identity forward. They highlighted some areas that they might want to focus on uh, real time identity, uh, real time identity verification, risk services, uh, access governance, decentralized identity. So I think blockchain, you know, machine identity, experience automation. I don't know what that means. Um, and dynamic authorization and entitlement. So on the fly, you know, yeah. access to stuff. Anyway, lots of cool stuff that they're hoping to invest in. Yeah, that sounds great. And uh, excited to see more in that area. All right. Well, we have some some less good news this time. You know, after all of the growing, um, we have some news from Automox, another local security company we've talked about a lot over the last few years. Um, they had a layoff. I think it was probably in June. It was, it was definitely I believe it was. Yep. Um, they laid off about 18% of their workforce. I've seen a couple different numbers, either 60 people or 67 people. Yeah. Either 60-ish. way. 60-ish. It was confirmed by their CEO on LinkedIn. Hey, these folks were let go. You know, and, and basically the idea is they're still growing. They're still they're still a, a, a high growth company. But when when the economy turns, and and for those who don't get too much into the investment side of things, the multiples on on all of these tech companies have gone down. You know, instead of being worth ten times your your uh, your annual revenue, now maybe it's worth six times. That really impacts the ability for them to spend ahead and go raise more money. So they had to they, they had to adjust how much they're spending to to make up for that. Unfortunately, that impacts people's jobs. And uh, there's you know 60ish folks who who are looking for work, and you know probably through no uh, fault of their own, it might be great folks to look for on your team. Yeah, and I think when this happened, uh, there was actually a, a Google spreadsheet that was circulating with a, a list of the people that had been uh, let go, so that uh, you know they could hopefully get employment more quickly. Um, I know I I pass it along to. Um, you know, RHR folks to try and see if there was anybody good in there to yeah. hire. So yeah. also this is, um, while it is sad, it is not just an Automox thing. I think if you've been paying attention to the news, there are lots and lots of tech companies right, right. now, security and not security, that are that have laid off a significant portion of their workforce. Um, I think, I mean, the biggest one that I can think of was OneTrust. You know, they laid oh, off like- It was brutal. Like 20% of their workforce or something like that. Like a thousand people. But, yeah, it was a lot of yeah. people. Um, but anyway, it's, you know, cloudy skies ahead trying to, to prepare for for what's coming and sadly that affects people uh this article was about automox but there was actually interestingly enough like a section at the end about a different company that also had layoffs tiffin which oh, yeah. is a financial a fintech startup incubator they cut 21 employees which is about 10 percent of their workforce what i thought was really interesting here was um, they mentioned that tiffin's nine top top executives took 20 percent pay cuts and and i think that you know who knows what how that much that impacts them? But like to show that they're trying to yeah. you know to take a disproportionately high amount of cut based on the layoff uh, compared to the layoffs. I think that goes a long way. Yeah, that is pretty cool. All right, uh, next story we have: uh, CSO Fifty has announced uh, their 2022 awards showcase for world class security strategies. And because we're talking about this, there must be a Colorado company involved. Yeah, you know, I I, I wouldn't have. 
uh, they don't give a lot of details on it, but you wouldn't, you know, when you think about great security, you don't necessarily think about the manufacturing sector. So it's really cool to see a manufacturing company that, that made this list. Gates, uh, Denver Zone, you know, if, if you all should remember the old Gates factory on 25, now they've got, they're in the Optive building, or maybe you call it the Gates building, I guess. <laughs> depending on your perspective. Uh, they made the list. Uh, so Dan Garlick uh, over there and our friend Mike Truss as a security architect have built a great security program over there that was recognized. We don't get to know the details of exactly why, but um, pretty cool to see Pretty cool to see them uh, recognized. Yeah, and uh, shout out also to uh, Diego Silva, the, the CIO over there who Rob and I interviewed for the podcast in October, November, whenever it was Something for like um, at the, uh, the event event. Is that what it was? It was an event last year, right. yeah. Yeah, anyway. So uh, it's a good job to them, and, and congrats on the nominations. Uh, speaking of awards, yeah. we have some more awards. Um, there was a, a Security Current announced their top 100 CISOs list, and there are a few names that were familiar on there. Yeah, we've got like uh, what five of these who were who are Colorado nat- I don't know natives, but people who are part of the Colorado security yep. community, and and one more who's a Colorado security or Colorado company as well, right? Yep. Uh, go ahead. Uh, so first, uh, and this is alphabetical. No, uh, we're not uh, playing any favorites here. Uh, Chris McLaughlin from Johns Manville was on the list. Yeah, uh, Jim Goddard, who who you and I are, I think he's a friend. Yeah, uh, he was a CISO for Kaiser Permanente, and then he was at Common Spirits. He's not a CISO anymore, but he's he's helping a private equity company with their security investments. So he's over now at Hellman and Friedman. Great to see Jim uh, recognized. Randall Fricci from Denver Health is on the list as well. Congrats, Randall. A good friend, another great friend of the show here, Sam Massiello. Sam now has your old job, right? At he the Anschutz Corporation. He, he does. Previous to that, he was at, oh man, the law firm. Uh, it was a law firm part. with a person's name. And I don't having, know what it was. Having a brain fart, but uh, that's but all right. Sam, of course, previously has had been at Teletech, and um, and and then he was and at, at Gates. Gates, and so Sam has has done a lot of great stuff with security. Great to see him recognized. Clearly, Sam laid the groundwork for that uh, that CSO fifty award. Of course, he did. Uh, and then the the last Colorado person is uh, Sue Lapierre, uh, who is, I think, still CISO, but also has another title as well. Um, it's, it's a more it focused title as well. Um, cause she does a lot more than just security over there, uh, at Prologis. And yeah. so, uh, congrats to Sue. Love to see that. Uh, we met, I, we kind of teased that there was a Colorado company, VF Corp, who is the, the outdoor brand company, their CISO, Ken, oh man. Athmos. It's, uh, Athanasau. Athanasau. Thank you. Glad um, you're ready. Yes. Uh, he is involved with the, uh, the local, uh, Avanta crew here. And so he's in town, uh, I don't want to say regularly, yeah. but a few times I just saw him a couple of weeks ago at Avanta. Um, so congratulations to Ken as well. And then a couple people that we know, uh, Kevin Morrison, who I worked with at, at Pulte and, uh, our friend Marnie Wilking from Wayfair. Yeah. Congrats, Marnie. We, we well reckoned, well, well deserved for all of the folks on the list. I'm glad to see, uh, a, a really good representation from Colorado. We got six yeah. or so folks out of, out of a hundred. That's, that, that's, that's, that's more than our 2% we should get as a state. Yes, it is. All right. Let's, let's keep moving. Um, this is not, there's no link in here, but I wanted to share some news. Our, uh, another friend of the show, James Carter. I can't believe it. I can't believe it's happened. Finally, <laughs> after seven years, James is moving on from Logarithm. Yeah, he's been in there an awfully long time. Um, I think I remember the first time meeting James was with you at RSA, just as he was uh, leaving to to go to Logarithm to be the the CISO there. Um, and we walked around the RSA show floor for a little bit. Anyway, so, so it was like probably eight, nine years ago. James, um, he was at, he was at the Mayo Clinic before that. He was at the Mayo so, Clinic. So yeah. what a great run at Colorado, or excuse me, at in in Colorado working uh, for Logarithm there in Boulder. 
uh, excited for him. I know he's got a new opportunity that he'll share when he's ready to talk about it. Um, and you know, he is, he has moved up into the Hills also in Conifer, I believe, you know, we should have him by the Bucksnort saloon. We probably, we probably should. Yeah. Uh, and then last thing that we have on the list again, um, not a, a link necessarily, but just wanted to give a quick update on the Rocky mountain information security conference. Registration is now open. Uh, so you can go register for, uh, for the conference. It's coming up September 21st through the 23rd. Um, not the 14th. Uh, and, uh, I think we're gonna have a great lineup. We are. Uh, we have recently selected all the speakers. I'm not sure if they're updated in the uh, uh, the registration or not yet, but those will be uh, soon and in that site and on the website. Uh, we've got our our keynotes uh, locked in, so we're we're really uh, doing some good stuff. Uh, so if you haven't registered already, go take a look at that. I think the uh, early bird I think goes through, through July, I believe. So, uh, so probably register sooner than later if you want the cheapest price, rmisc.org. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I will be there. Um, if that if that doesn't convince you to come, <laughs> Alex will be there too. So I'll, I'll be there too. Yeah, there you go. All right. Let's jump over to our events. Uh, you know, as we're doing monthly, we kind of go out at least a month in the future. So let's, starting off here on the 13th of July, we have the ISSA Denver chapter meeting there for July. On the 15th, the Let's Talk Software Security Group is doing software security roles and responsibilities. On the 19th, we have a couple of different events, both the Colorado Springs ISSA meeting and the the Cloud Security Alliance of Colorado are doing their July meetings. Those are both on the 19th. On the 23rd, uh, ISSA Colorado Springs is doing their July mini seminar. And on the 27th, um, ISC Squared Pikes Peak, another Colorado Springs group, is getting together for their July meeting. And on the 10th of August, Denver ISSA is doing a privacy special interest group meeting. And another quick reminder, on the 20th, we're going to have the Colorado Equal Security Picnic in Clement Park. Look in the show notes, and we'll put it on the calendar, too. It's not on the calendar yet, but it should be. It should we'll, be. We'll get it on there. We're slacking. All right. Uh, jobs? Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, at Uplight, we are still looking for a cloud security engineer. Would uh, love someone who has uh, experience uh, managing security in a cloud environment. Um, I think preferably if you know a little bit about GCP, that'd be great. But whether it's GCP or Azure or AWS, um, if you know one of those, awesome. Love to have you. Uh, we have a couple of CISO jobs this this month. We don't always bring in CISO jobs, but two of our of our friends have moved on from their previous jobs. Uh, so we, we have Jacob Rubin who moved on from uh, Red Robin and they're, they're hiring his backfill, the vice president and CISO uh, for Red Robin. Jacob is moving over to Evotech where he's going to be a kind of a customer facing CISO. Um, and then at Insurity, uh, Joshua Foltz, who's been a great member of the community, he's moving on and they're looking to hire a new CISO at Insurity. Google is looking for a program manager for enterprise threat management. Strive Health is looking for a director of privacy. Gusto is looking for a privacy and IP program manager. Elastic, the kind of Elk Stack folks, they are looking to hire an InfoSec governance and customer trust manager. Hmm. This this title spoke to me. I, I love. <laughs> I was looking at their other titles, and this is not the only position where they they put the normal name right, like kind of a governance, right? That's that, that's a recognizable name, but then they also put in a name that kind of speaks more to the way they think of it. And I really loved it. Awesome. Spectrum is looking for a senior manager of cybersecurity threat remediation management. BI Inc. is hiring a security engineer senior. 
Pulte Mortgage is looking for a security operations specialist. And finally, Zayo, Zayo Group is hiring a Zayo <laughs> is hiring a senior cybersecurity analyst focused on GRC. Very nice. That sounds like fun. Well, that is the it. That is the end of news. But we do have a, an interview this week or this month rather. We have Patrick Crossan, who is the CEO for Resurface Labs. Um, that's a, a local security or local technology company coming and talking to us about um, his career and, and really what they do over there at Resurface. Yeah, uh, this was an uh, interview by by Frank Victory. So happy to have Frank doing some more interviews for us. Thank you, Frank. We appreciate it, and we'll look forward to talking to you guys again in August. Thanks, Rob. Hello, this is Stanton Meyer, CSO of CoBank. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is the Colorado Equal Security Podcast. My name is Frank. I am a guest host on this wonderful podcast here. Today, I have a guest of Patrick Clausen. He is the CEO of Resurface Diet. IO, a, a company based in Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Patrick has been working since the mid-80s, although he started in cybersecurity in 2001 with a company called CyberGuard. And today we're going to talk about a little bit about his history, get to know Patrick. He, we'll talk about his hobbies. He likes hiking, travel, and history. And we'll also talk about how he almost got scalped in Japan. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome, Patrick. How are you today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, Patrick. Uh, before we get started here, I always like to have an icebreaker question. So the icebreaker, if you can compete in any Olympic sport, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> oh, um, if I could do it, it would probably be those amazing downhill winter runs. Guys like Franz Klammer, so impressive and just something I didn't think I could do without breaking in half. So something so like I that. Tried that before? Not like that, man. <laughs> just point the skis down and go. <laughs> All right. So you do like skiing. You're in the definitely the right state for something like that. Uh, so again, welcome, Patrick, uh, to our podcast here. Um, why don't you start talking about, uh, first thing I want to try to talk about is that you're here in the U.S. now, but you did start working with a company called Lanier in Australia. They're actually based out of the U.S. They set up Atlanta, Georgia, and I worked for several years um, with them here in the U.S. And then they moved me to Sydney, where I spent six years uh, in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. But you didn't, you didn't seem to get the, uh, the traditional uh, accent, though, did you? <laughs> So anyway, I, I, both my kids were born down there. When I moved back, my daughter definitely had an accent. But we've 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 worked that out of her system over the years. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing today? I know that you're a growth guy, so why don't you talk a little bit about what that actually means? Yeah, absolutely. So it, I'm just using the cyber career as a backdrop. Um, every one of the companies that I've run have all been a little bit different in what they need to do to survive and then ultimately grow and achieve you know, great value. So CyberGuard was a layer seven firewalling company. Um, industry was evolving in the early 2000s. We were adding in things like VPN and other functionality onto the firewalls. And all of a sudden, you know, next generation technology started coming out. And you know, it wasn't just selling it directly. We, we moved into Europe. We had channels in Europe. We had 
um, two-tier distribution there. We had a different channel approach in Japan where we set up a KK to go get that market. Um, we had resellers here in the U.S. and then very, you know, named accounts. So it's, you know, my way of achieving growth is largely through figuring it out what you have, how the market will buy what you have right now, and and then plugging yourself in. So CyberGuard was a lot of channel, but some really direct approaches to the biggest accounts. Um, when we moved into Lumension, that was an endpoint security platform. And again, it was global. We grew it from around 800 customers around the world to about 3,500. Um, and then we had a combination here in North America. The channels weren't as receptive. So we did inside, outside sales and a renewal team kind of worked together to grow the North American components. And then we had distribution outside of the U.S. So it's always a little bit different, but it's uh, the hard part is really getting honest with what you have and what the potential routes to market are and then focusing. So you really focused on the customer, I mean, and what the product need is. What was the decision point on that? What caused you to want to learn to really sit there and say, this is what it is? What type of data? You know, so the, the way I like to approach these things, Frank, is every company that I've been involved with, and I try to look at four things. I take the whole company with me, particularly the leadership team. And because everybody's got an idea of who they are, but very few people dig in and do the hardcore research. So we do research with industry analysts, people that I've known from the Gartners, the Foresters, and that type of an analyst in the background. We also talk to financial analysts, analysts of the different finance firms that have, you know, the mid-tier guys, whether it's Baird, Cowan, Needham, you know, those style of firm, Pat Pacific Crest. Then the next thing we do is I take the team through a very intensive competitive analysis. So we've got to figure out every competitor, how much money they raise, where they see their value props, what type of customers they're signing, what type of verticals they're approaching, what their pricing methodologies are. And then the fourth thing that we do is statistically relevant survey of our, from our buyers around the world. And you bring that all together and it helps you focus. It really helps you figure out who's buying what, what the right verticals are to target, why they're buying, what the right pricing strategy is. And then you can line up your sales approach to the way those vertical verticals bu are buying around the world. So it's, it's an exercise in analysis. Um, it takes a little bit of work, but it's always worth doing because every company is going to be a little bit different. Okay, so industry, financial, competitive, and the buyers. Those are the four things that you would recommend to, what, any CEO that's part of a startup? Yeah, well, really, if you're coming in to take over a business, right, or you're a business and you found yourself that you've stalled, you got you to gotta do the, the hard stuff. You got to stop everything and dig in deep and be prepared to call yourself ugly where you're ugly and then march forward, right? Okay. Well, uh, this is the uh, Colorado Equal Security Podcast. So what, how does security fall into those verticals? Oh, in a, in a multitude of ways. So um, at Resurface, when we settled on three verticals that we were focused on, it had to do with those that had the biggest regulations that drove buyer behaviors, fines that if the buyer behaviors weren't followed and the regulations weren't adhered to, right? And then... Uh, um, obviously, generally with budget. So our three primary verticals in this space are your banking and finance sector, um, inundated with APIs and apps. Next thing is on the healthcare side. And the third one is high technology, which includes defense. So those three areas can, are a good portion of the global IT security spend. They've got a very educated buyer. They're very likely to be early adopters with, with new problems. 
um, and they definitely have the fines and regulatory requirements. Okay. Well, um, so one of the things that I do is I actually teach at several different universities. And I always sit there and talk to about the students about convenience versus security. And it's a sliding scale. And one of the things I tell them is that it's not a solid answer. It really depends on your C-level and what they want to decide what their uh, risk tolerance is. How would you guide some of these university students and sit there and say, what are some deciding factors? Because obviously when you're taking over a company and like you said, you had the industry and the finance, the competitive and the buyers to consider. But at the same time, uh, you also have your regulation and fines if you don't meet some of these security issues and the all important budget. So a few years ago, I did an ebook on this. You know, so what does every CEO need to know about cybersecurity? It's up on YouTube. It's chapterized. It's actually pretty thorough. But part of the challenge as a CEO, it, I happen to be a cybersecurity one, so it's top of mind for me. A lot of other CEOs have never really known to ask the questions of what is how cyber resilient are we? Are we safe? And having people on their team that they can point to and say, hey, look, we're never going to be professionals in the cyberspace, but could you categorize our top 10 risks? Could you help us understand what they are, understand what we need to do to fix them and the potential exposure we suffer by not doing so, so that we can rank order those? And when I talk to university students, I need, I'd like them to understand the power of communication. You're, you're in a role to communicate with those directly associated with you and above you as well as below you. But you need to learn how to communicate up, be confident, know what the issues are, make sure it's easy to understand, and then provide solutions. That helps the executives understand your requirements, get budgets around it, and set priorities. So it almost sounds like, though, even as a CEO, you're also doing some managing down. Is that true? Does that correct? Or yeah, you do to a certain level, but yeah, I think most CEOs that I know don't like to do that, right? If they hire somebody who's a CISO, they want a CISO who knows what they're doing. And when they engage, it's like, all right, Mr. CEO, Ms. CEO, we've got 10 top issues. There are others, but here are 10 top issues. Here's the risk they impose on the organization to our individuals, to our shareholders, to our customers, whatever. And here's the cost of moving forward with them. Let's discuss this, right? So it's Somebody that knows how to work, understands their position, is confident enough to work up in the organization. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we've been talking pretty seriously for the last few minutes here. Uh, I do want to sit there and maybe take a little bit of a, a laugh break here. I, I understand that you were almost or virtually scalped, scalped in Japan. Can you try to talk about that? Yeah, it's one of my funnier stories. So period of time, I'm the guy with a lot of hair, but I, I just would shave it down and I had a, a number eight at all times. So I never had to worry about it. Uh, my son and I kind of did the same thing and it was a running thing for about five years. But one of these times I was in Japan and we'd had a really hard morning and the guys we had a break. So I went back to my hotel and they had a traditional barber with a red and white pole and the guys in the, you know, the light blue barber smocks and no one spoke a word of English. But I figured we had our sign language down and I sat down in the chair and they were doing the shoulder massage and the shave and the whole deal. And he asked about up top and I said, a number eight. And he said, okay, now you've given the fingers back to number eight. So he went around, he did his thing and he came back over to me, got that razor up and running. He went right down the middle of my head. And his number eight was a lot closer to a number two here in the US. I nearly had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. He's showing me the number eight on the bottom. I said, go all the way, man. There's nothing else we can do. So I went down. It was super tight. 
Oh, wow. And I came home and everybody gave me trouble in the office. Did, did your son get it too, or that's your support? Or said, Dad, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's kind of funny. But it, it is kind of interesting to, to really see some of those cultural differences, because it sounds like there was no malintent there. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, this 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 barber was like something out of the Mayberry. It was classic with the barber poles, the chairs, the, the blue barber jackets, the whole thing. It was fantastic. Just that communication error got me scalped. Okay. So you've been to Japan. Uh, and I understand that one of your hobbies is you like to travel. Where, uh, where are some of the favorite places that you like to travel to? Great question. Um, you know, Europe's fantastic, but one of the cities that I like the most in Europe, and I don't think enough people talk about it, is Stockholm. I think you get lost in the beauty and the culture of Stockholm. Um, fantastic place. I could mention all the others, but people know what they are, and I think that one should be on the radar. Um, down in the Asia Pacific, you know, I absolutely, absolutely love Australia, the culture, the people, the climate everything about it so big fan sydney melbourne different cities but equally cool um i think japan is you know one of my favorite places in the world when i do a tough two-week tour through the through the asia pacific i'd always like to stop in tokyo on my way home and get a couple good solid days of getting back into you know normal habits so um those are some great ones uh, for sure i've enjoyed jakarta and and Singapore is another absolute favorite. And some of the Chinese cities are also incredibly exciting. But yeah, lots of places to see in the world. Lots of really fun ones. Latin America. Yeah. You know, getting down to Buenos Aires, Santiago. Very cool places. Awesome. Awesome. So I'm glad you mentioned Stockholm. I'm actually going to be teaching a class on uh, threat intelligence out there next year. Uh, but from the cities that you actually went through, and you talked about here, is there something common that you always try to do in each one of those cities from either internationally or nationally? Yeah, you know, it's funny because if I give myself an extra day or two on the trip, I always like to hire a guide, sometimes a university professor to take me to places and deliver culture that is not just kind of mainstream touristy stuff. Like I went to Rome, I hire somebody from the American University and I try to really understand and go places that your average tour bus is never going to go. Same thing if I'm in Malaysia or Singapore or China, wherever I am, I like to get a level of knowledge that I'm not going to get from a typical tourist handbook. Okay. So uh, you, you said uh, from the embassy or a university professor from the so embassy? If you pick a university, or the university, particularly if you have an American university in the, in the environment, they've got professors who specialize or, or are open to it. And sometimes you got to go online and find these, these guys, whatever. But yeah, it's just, Something I always like to do. And when I had the kids with me, it was fun. They learned a lot too, right? It was always opening the world to them. Okay. And in those places, uh, you also mentioned that you like hiking. Uh, is that, I mean, is there a good hiking in any of those places? You know what? There, there, there's some in, on our list are, you know, it's Patagonia down in, uh, in Argentina, we want to do the two days up Mount Fuji and, you know, one day down. Um, we do a lot in Colorado. So we try to do a 14er every year. This year, we can get everybody together. We're going to try and do Pikes Peak uh, up and down. Um, so, yeah, we some of these places have great hikes. Sometimes it's just fun to go and visit. Okay, and you do that with your family? 
the whole family, all brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews, all we all kind of go. Oh wow, wow, that's that's a little bit more. Uh, so, how many people total? Then are you talking about? So have, um, somewhere between like ten and twelve people on a good hike. Okay, that's that's quite a bit though. Yeah, a lot to hurt. That's a herd. Yeah, <laughs> just trying to get everyone. Okay, awesome. Um, so we're sitting there talking about, let's get a little bit back to some of the cybersecurity items out there. Uh, what do you think is the greatest challenge for security today? You know, I, I, I'm not sure that it's changed. It's just the, the reasons for it may have changed. It's understanding what the risks are. It is investing in the technologies, understanding that the criminal is not static that they're constantly evolving. Um, and then, you know, having executive buy-in, people that know how to communicate up in the organization so that executives can support good, solid security policies, right? Without people communicating it up, a lot of CEOs, CFOs, they just don't know. And it's not an issue for them unless it's happened, right? Unless there's a problem. So I think that communication to the executive level is really important. I think CISOs and CTOs, et cetera, need to really take ownership of that level of communication. I mean, think about our space. Five or six years ago, we had the guys in red and guys in yellow, and they were the two big companies in the space. Think about where they are today and who the big companies are now. So much has shifted because the threat landscape never changes. I mean, it's always changing. Unfortunately, the businesses don't change as rapidly. Okay. So I'm going to put you in a position here, right? Uh, I'm obviously a technical guy. I actually prefer to be a lot of hands-on, but let's say that I am now stepping into a CISO role for you. First day on the job, never had this kind of problem before, never been in this type of position before. And I noticed that you said something about communication. As a technician, I'm going to be talking, of course, at the very technical level. What kind of advice, though, would you give me as my first day as a CISO? You know, obviously, we're focusing on communication. It's you need to know as much about your world as you do about your audience. You have to understand your audience and who your audience is and how they need to hear messages. You need to understand that you don't come to that to your C-suite um, with problems. You come with priorities, issues, remediations for those issues. All you know, you come prepared. Um, you come at a CIO or I'm coming at a CFO. You come at a CEO several times without, you know clearly identified issues, remediations and costs and plans, they're going to stop listening to you, right? It becomes an issue for them. In other words, they feel like they've got to solve the problem instead of you managing it for them. Okay. So that would be the most important advice to make sure that we manage the situation, really just bring those solutions to the CEO or maybe a decision point. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I think, um, there's great CISOs out there and there's those that are learning and then those that probably should never have been CISOs, all of the above, same for every role in the company. Um, but the best ones I've ever seen, they're, they're, their world is a dynamic world, right? They understand and they keep present the, the, the top issues, where they are with remediating those top issues and what comes next. So it's never really a mystery. It's something that's an active dialogue with a leadership team and they get it. And, and they're a part of it and they want it to be successful. Okay. Would you expect that CISO to really be able to come up with that top 10 or be leading that into that top 10 that you mentioned earlier? Oh yeah, I, I really do. Um, 
I think they're going to touch every aspect of the organization. They're not going to pull a magic wand and wave it and all of a sudden the 10 drop on their desk. It takes a lot of work and investigation, but I think they're in the best place to do that. Okay. And, you know, you had mentioned both that there are some people that are born or essentially made to be a CISO and then other people that, you know, should never have been a CISO in the first place. How would you maybe make that determination? What, what would, from your own personal experience, have you experienced that before? You know, I have, um, but I think to, to be clear, this is not picking on CISOs. It's yeah, the same thing happens for every role in an organization, a CFO, a CRO, you pick it. Um, I think the second that your boss needs to start managing you or telling you what to do is when you probably have the wrong person in that role. Everyone should know their role so well that they're driving uphill as opposed to having their boss tell them what to do, right? That's, you're way too senior um, to be in a role where your, your immediate supervisor is having to guide you with what to do. You should be challenging your supervisor with your skills and your knowledge and, and what you bring to the table. That's generally how I view a senior role. Okay, so challenging your supervisor, challenging the, the CEO with your skills? It's, it's, let's use challenging properly. I think you know, need to know your job so well that you're the one that's on top of it, constantly presenting the real world scenarios to your leadership team. Where I see people start to fail is when I'm not having anything happening and that I or a member of the team have to go downstream and start telling that person what to do. There's a difference, right? One is proactive, knows their business, is confident about what they're doing. They're driving change. The other one is waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. Okay. That's that's definitely some uh, eye-opening advice for anyone, I guess, in, in careers in general. Yeah, it's much broader than just C-sales for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good. So you would give that all the way down to what, like maybe in the director level as well? Absolutely. Look, any any role, if I've ever had a chief revenue officer who I had to start telling what to do in order to drive, I had probably the wrong CRO, right? Same thing on the marketing, same thing on technology. Okay. All right. And, you know, just since we're kind of speaking about CISOs right now, um, what do you think is the greatest challenge for security today? And not necessarily maybe not solve the issue, but just kind of just address it. A big broad one. Um, I think at a tactical level, you know, I, I think the biggest issue and one of the reasons I came to resurface is the absolute explosion of the use of APIs. But within that, there's not always, as it always has been, not always a focus on security when building the APIs or apps that leverage them. So it's created this wide open gap. I think it was Gartner that said last year that the malicious API traffic dwarfed legitimate. And at the beginning of this year, they said the APIs will be the number one attack vector this year. So I think what's happened over the last series of years is people have been building APIs to advance business functionality, ability to grow revenues. And I get it, right? You're, you're trying to get things out. You're trying to you know grow. You're trying to make things easier to work with. But that lack of thought around security is put us in a position right now. For example, we, have, we run Honeypot. I think 85% of all of the Honeypot traffic is malicious traffic right now, our API. And that's kind of what's happening around the world. And I, I think there's a wake-up call. I think the early adopters are paying attention to it and putting money at it. 
But if you look at the banks and how many APIs they run, you look at healthcare, you look at government, you look at high tech firms, the numbers of APIs are extraordinary. Um, and very few organizations, one knows who owns them once they're deployed, or two, um, knows what's actually going on inside the APIs. So it's a, I think it is a, it's a huge issue and part of the reason that I came here. Okay. Would you recommend though, because uh, I've heard it both ways, would you recommend honeypots and deploying them in an organization? And if so, what are some of the things that you might want to have to consider before making these decisions? Gosh, um, it's not so much that we deploy one in the organization, but we did want to stand up a, an API and watch how it was, how, when, and where, and why it was attacked. And I think it was put your money where your mouth is, be a part of it, watch what's happening in the real world. Um, I have pros and cons on honeypots and organizations. And I'm not sure I'm the right guy to ask on that one. I, I've seen them work successfully uh, for companies that are trying to see what's going on around the world and deploying lots and lots of them. And then I've seen them be nothing but a burden. So I just think this one is simple and, and telling about the state of API traffic in general. Okay. Well, uh, it looks like though APIs are on the top of your mind here. Is there a reason for that? Yeah, I think the, the I think Akamai said at the beginning of this year, 83% of all web traffic now went through APIs. Um, so that's a big number. It's only gotten worse in the last six months. There's another stat that came out that said that only 11% of businesses have done anything to secure. So you've got this wide open business opportunity. Very few companies have done much to secure their APIs. Yet you've got Gartner and a lot of other firms saying, hey, guys, wake up. It's the number one attack vector. It's happening right now. So I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, of evidence from very reputable firms, all different firms pointing at the same issue. And we're kind of coming to a head today. So I think this year is a year where people, early adopters are moving that direction. I think the rest are looking at it, figuring out how they can get into a budget for next year. Okay, awesome, awesome. And from a, uh, so I want to do is give you some open microphone time. Is there anything, I mean, you've got several hundred security professionals here in the state of Colorado listening to you right now. What is just just anything? It doesn't even have to be about security. Just what kind of advice or just anything you want to say right now? Sure. You know, um, there are a lot of good startups and, and there's some later stage. But, you know, Colorado has been really generating some raw new technology. And a couple of things I would I'd like to say to early stage um, executives, early stage engineers, but early, people who own early stage companies, you know, it's focus. I can't tell you how many companies I've bought over the years that have had millions of dollars poured into them and they never really got a product to market and got their first customers. They were so busy building what I call the atomic bologna slicer. They never got an MVP. They never got it out into customers' hands. They never got feedback and traction. So they went through all that money. And part of that is they don't know when to say no. They don't know when to say stop. Um, and they they don't take the time to focus. It's always something different and new that they got to build towards. So it, it really is be honest with yourself. Stay focused. Focus on MVPs. Don't focus on that, you know, crazy atomic baloney slicer. Get to revenue. Get proof points. Everything is about getting those first customers on board. Okay. So getting those first customers on board, don't buy that atomic bologna slicer for $9.99 is really what you're saying, right? 
Well, don't try to build it, right? You're never going to have a perfect solution. So you have to know when to cut and get something released that people can sell and then improve, right? But too often people never stop the dev cycle. They never have a completed product and it's just unfortunate. So we're, uh, as you were saying that, a thought popped into my mind. Uh, what do you think about the term minimal viable product? It's important. I mean, you have to be, you have to understand what that is. It's the only way to get an end to your first dev cycles to get the product out the door, get real customer feedback. So guess what? You can let them tell you what should be coming next on the platform as opposed to you doing it in a, you know, in a, in a, in a silo. So it's MVP is important. It helps you have an end date. It helps you get it out. And then it helps you start that feedback cycle. Awesome. Awesome. Well, anything else for the uh, Colorado Equal Security podcast here? I don't think so. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, thank you for spending your time with me. Uh, again, this is Patrick Clausen with Resurface IO. He's the CEO out there. If you want to get a hold of him, uh, there's a very email. There's a very easy email address for him. It's pat at resurface.io. And uh, I want to thank everybody again. Uh, also, to do a reminder, there we do have the RMIS conference coming up in, I believe, September of this year. Uh, they're going to try to do it in person again. So now that all the COVID scare is done. Uh, We'd definitely love to hear that. We'll definitely help to see people in person again. Again, my name is Frank. I am a board member of the Denver OWASP group. So please definitely check us out at meetup.com forward slash Denver dash OWASP. And again, thank you for your time, Patrick. I really do appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.